Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. It's a great honor to be here with my friend, Pastor James, and the history here, the friends here, my brother, my friend, Rice Brooks. And, you know, uh, it's easy to forget the past, right? So 20 years ago, 20-some years ago, 9-11 happened, and I got this phone call from uh, Dr. Rice Brooks who said, will you join me in New York City? And that was on 9-12. And he said, come with me. Let's go to New York City. And I said, you don't need me. And this is like, this is really true to, to who I am. I am reluctant. Anybody else reluctant? I am typically in my, like, no, you, here's who you need. Dr. Rice, you need this guy or this person. They need to go with you. So the next day I was on... <laughs> I was in this SUV with four other pastors driving to New York City. That's the power of persuasive people in your life. And we all need them. We all need them. Is the jacuzzi fun? Come on, be honest. Right? It's, but some people just need to be gently nudged into the jacuzzi. And they say, wow, I like it. And that's how it is in the will of God. When you're in the will of God, you're in the zone, you're in the niche, you're in the whatever you want to call it. You're in that sweet spot of your life. And it is God's intention that everyone who's watching online or in this auditorium right here, every one of you need and are being called and anointed and helped by God to get into your sweet spot. So what does that do? That changes how we see social media and everything else. You are who God made you to be, and God makes no, no mistakes, none whatsoever. You are who you need to be. You're here on planet Earth and the time that God called you to be here. And everyone in this room will be, and everyone watching online will be energized. I hope this is an okay word. The dynamite of God brings energy to you to fulfill God's mandate on your life, and we will not give up or quit until we get in that spot, and we will make an impact on the world. And so the name or the title of this message is From Nudges to Nations. Nudges to Nations. Now, everyone here knows about Acts 1-8, probably everyone here. It says, you will receive power. This is Jesus, some of his last words before he ascended to the heavens. He said, to his disciples, you're going to receive the dunamis, the Greek word dunamis, or the dynamite of God, if you will, the power of God. You're going to receive it when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm sure you've heard that. Now, it was just a day or two, or a few days later, that the Spirit came down. They were on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, and the Spirit came down, and they were empowered. They were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We love the Holy Spirit. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, nor am I ashamed of the Holy Spirit. 
Some people get all weirded out when they hear about the Holy Spirit is God. Not a force, not a thing. The Holy Spirit is the living God. And guess what? You can't do what you need to do without the Holy Spirit. Some people say, well, the Holy Spirit just makes you so weird. No, you were already weird before the Holy Spirit came to you to help you, really. And, and so they had what it would take. And you see, when the Holy Spirit came, then it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter took the microphone. He began to preach the gospel. He tied in the whole gospel with the, the Old Testament or the first part of the Bible. He, he anchored it into the Psalms. He anchored it into the prophets. And he says this, and they were saying, these people are crazy. They are drunk on wine at three o'clock in the afternoon. And he said, no, they're not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. And there's something I like about this connection because everybody who I've ever, you know, except unless they get excessive and they get drunk and they hug in the toilet, you know, there are those things that are, are images in my previous life. All right. But then there's this moment where those who get drunk, they also get filled with some level of happiness. They feel better. Right. And there is this connection between the Holy Spirit, who is the real joy and the real peace, who brings the real happiness, the real things in your life. And and we are not those who are drunk at three o'clock. We are those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And when it happens, it happens. <clears throat> now, why am I bringing this up? Because the Holy Spirit wanted to bring them to a place where they would share good news with their neighbor first in Jerusalem. And in this particular passage, as they were coming to Christ, it says there were 3,000 people water baptized on that day. Bethel, Bethel World Outreach Center, Beth, get ready. These days are coming. I'm not just saying that for hype. I believe there are the days coming when so many people, and it may not even be in my lifetime, but I believe that what we are doing today will have an impact on tomorrow. So don't give up. Don't leave your spot on the bus. Don't leave your spot on the train. Stay on the train. Watch what God will do. You have planted. You deserve to reap what you've planted. You deserve it. It's coming in all of our lives. And it says in Acts 2 that they were breaking bread together. They were, they were eating together. They were fellowshipping together. They were being devoted to the apostles' teachings, and they were praying together. And they would grow. A, a chapter or two later, it says there were now 5,000 of them. So I don't know how big it got, but this was the mega church. And there was a deacon in that church of Jerusalem named Philip. Now look what happened in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. There arose on that day, this is probably approximately uh, eight years later, it says there arose that day a great persecution against the church. And so they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Well, here's a question that, that really has gotten to me over the years. And that is, why did they wait eight years? You ever just like, like, let me just use this as an analogy. How many like your mama's cooking? And what do you do when you eat? You just say, I think I'm going I'm to stay, stay and watch this Sunday night TV show with you. Next thing you know, you're spending a week, <laughs> a week with mama. Well, this church stayed there for pretty much eight years. So look at these, these two verses right here. Acts 1-8, that you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you're going to go. And Acts 8-1, there arose that day a persecution to get you to go. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the revelation and the impact of the Spirit in my life 
leading me to do something, leading me by the nudges of God to go somewhere or do something. I'd rather have that than Acts 8.1 where there's a persecution and you're being tortured or beaten or put in prison. It says in this passage that Paul, Saul of Tarsus was dragging them off, male and female, dragging them off to prison. It's not fun. People say, yeah, in the last days, we're all going to be persecuted and all that. I don't think that's fun. We're all going to go through it and all that. I don't think that's fun. I'd rather look like I am drunk on wine. I would rather look like it not drinking on wine. We have been dried up in Jesus' name, right? We are not those people. We have been saved. We have been filled with the Spirit of God. And they built this beautiful community and people kept coming, but they stayed there. They never went out. But then the persecution comes and you see this word about Philip is going out and he was just a deacon in the mega church. He comes to the outreach. We're doing a little missional outreach uh, about 40 miles away. Maybe it's Dixon or wherever we're going. And he's down there. He just left. He went out. And because of this persecution, he preached and then miracles began to happen. It says in verse four that they were out preaching the word. And they saw signs and wonders and miracles. So much happened that chapter eight, verse eight, this is one of my favorite verses right here because it's a sweet, short verse right here, but it's also true. It says there was much joy in that city. It is one thing to have joy in your life. It's another thing to have joy in your family, right? But it's something that is unusual to have joy in your city. And we are the agents. We are the ones that have the opportunity. You know that Philip brought it in a way out in the public so that lives would be transformed, chains would be broken. It doesn't have to always be inside the church. God, 39 out of 40 of the miracles were in, in the, in the book of Acts were in the marketplace, in the marketplace. Oh, we could tell you stories about people in the marketplace and they just slipped out their Bible up on the shelf and they're in that right moment. They pull it off. God loves the world. God loves us. And he wants us to share good news. And you can see the role of, of Philip who he is following God and there was much joy. And then they sent him Peter and John who prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And the gospel did not end there through Philip's life. In 826, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, I tend to believe that this is a real angel. You know, not like, man, that person's an angel. No, but a real entity. It says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south of that road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. How often do you see someone in the mega church being fed every day, laughing, people coming every day, and then the outreach, he does his outreach, and then he gets, he could be the founder. Then he leaves that and he goes down a deserted road where nobody is there. No one's there. In each situation, he was nudged to go. Now, look at this. It says that he rose and he went. And this Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, was in charge of her treasury. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So here's a man who was filled with God. He was walking with God. He has been called 
to certain places. Let me read verse 27 or verse 28 here. It says that he had come and there he was worshiping and he was returning, seated in his chariot. He was, he, this eunuch was, was reading the prophet Isaiah and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. See, when the Holy Spirit works in you, he will take you to places where you're often not comfortable. This was a, a secretary treasury, treasure. He is in charge of the money, a lot of gold. And this is like pure, straight up evidence that Christianity was not a white man's religion. You got Philip going to the Ethiopian. And not only that, but a person who was somewhat handicapped, if you will. And God is going after the world. Every person on this planet who is breathing has an opportunity to receive the best news ever, and that is the gospel of Jesus, the one who came, the one who died, the one who rose from the dead. And so it says here that he went, and Philip didn't just go to him, but Philip, verse 30, ran to him. He heard what he, that he was reading Isaiah, and he asked a question, guys, Gals, please know that when God puts us on mission, it's oftentimes to our advantage to ask a question before we begin to try to give answers. God wants us to engage people, to talk to people, ask questions. Where are you from? What are you doing? And this particular guy, he was reading Isaiah and Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? Philip went up and sat with him and began to interpret with him about the gospel of Jesus through the book of Isaiah. In verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. You see, the gospel must be demonstrated, but it also must be explained. It must be preached. The gospel must be told. I was given a book, a, a green book. It was the uh, green book called the Living Bible. And it was a trans, trans uh, you know, a paraphrased version of the Bible. Uh, when I was 15 years old, grew up in a Jewish family, never went to church. And she wanted to give me a gift. She gives me a Bible. So she gives me this Bible. And I'm 15 years old. I put it away in my closet. When I'm 18 years old, I'm a freshman in college. I took the Bible with me because my mother held it up and said, you might need this for a literature class. And I immediately thought, that'll save me 10 bucks. I'll take it with me. And something happened that first week of my freshman year at the university, and I opened it up. There was a nice note in there. There was a $5 bill in there, and I kept looking through the pages wondering if there's a 20 somewhere. But what I found in that Bible was greater than anything I could ever imagine. It was the word of the living God. And I kept wondering, where do I start? The book of Job, the book of Psalms, the book of whatever. I, did, I knew nothing. I was completely 100% biblically illiterate. But I started reading my, because I saw my brother's name. It's Mark. So I started reading the gospel of Mark and about seven days later, it was like Jesus just walked right in like a cloud came in and it was Jesus. And I gave, got on my knees and I gave Jesus my life. Never turned back. Philip opened his mouth and he began with that scripture. Do you know you can almost start with any scripture in that Bible and just begin right there. You can start right there. And as they were going along to some water, the Ethiopian eunuch, he said, See here, here's the water. What prevents me from being baptized? 
When's the last time that's happened to you? You're just driving down the road and say, hey, you see that pond? I dropped, stop me right there. I'm, please go into the water with me and let's get baptized. Let Baptize me. This is a Greek word, immerse, baptismo. You're going under the water. Don't be just dippity doo Get under that water. The OU needs to get under the water. You need, you do, if, 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 when I'm baptized, I don't baptize many people anymore, but my team's constantly baptizing. And if I see even a hand coming up, if I see even a nose sticking out, I, I literally walk by and say, no, no, no. Go under all the way because something is happening. There is a transform, transformational moment right there where the old you goes under and the new you rises to the newness of life. And that Ethiopian got it through the book of Isaiah. Oh, this word is so powerful. The word of God is so powerful, so life-changing. And so they did. They stopped. He baptized them. And he came up out of the water and Philip went on preaching to other places. And then he ended up in Caesarea. What is all this about? It is about multiple nudges, multiple things that happened, a prodding. I was a junior at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, when I met Dr. Rice Brooks. And he baptized me when I was two years a believer in Christ. But there was no foundation. No one told me the importance of water baptism, being filled with the spirit, being part of a church family. And I got these foundations, and, and, and all of a sudden I get this invitation to be a Methodist pastor as a college student. They said, we're going to fund you, and we're going to give you a full-ride scholarship to Asbury University. You're going to be able to go there for free. We're going to buy you a car. And I thought, man, I am living the big life now. Until one day I was having lunch in the public speaking area of University of North Carolina, and it was like somebody sitting right beside me whispering in my ear and saying, you're not going to that seminary. It's because God had called me to the very place. I remember begging him, God, I will go anywhere except Chapel Hill. You, Chapel Hill is for somebody else. I have been beaten up at this place, and yet God was saying to me, no, you're not called to go. You're called to stay. You're staying here. And that was the beginning of a launching of our church called Kings Park Church, and now in, its, in, in the era and all that. But, uh, you know, God's nudges are real. And he does it in so many different ways. I was on a bus and, and, and I was traveling after God called me away from the normal way to do it. And by the way, I'm not saying my way is the best way. I'm not saying my way is the only way. I'm simply saying my way for it to be anything of significant must be his way for my life. And I wish God's, God's life on you, not my life on you. And so I'm on this bus and I get this nudging to get up on the bus. It's a one hour bus ride from Chapel Hill to Greensboro. I'm sitting on the bus. All of a sudden I get a nudge, get up and preach. How many of y'all look forward to that day when you're on a plane ride and God says, get up and preach or you're on a bus, get up and preach. It's, this is, this is unusual stuff. And, and, and I was having this wrestling match with God and I determined that the bus driver, if I just go and ask him, are you in charge, sir? And uh, I don't think you let people on Interstate 40 get up and stand up on the bus. I, I think you don't, you're not into that. And so I figured it out. If I just appeal to this bus driver that I'm breaking his policy, then he's going to tell me to sit down, right? Wrong. I went up. I said, my name's Ron Lewis. Uh, I think I should get up on your bus and speak, but I know you don't want me to do that. So I'll go back and sit down. 
I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, uh, and here's how he spoke. He spoke in Southern twang. He said, wow, son and boy, I, 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 I'll be praying for you right here as you're, he's driving. I'll be praying for you. And here, use this. Here's the microphone right here. That was the first message I ever preached in my life. Two people raised their hand after five minutes of preaching everything I knew. And it's just significant that God let me give my first message out in the public instead of in the church. You know, this thing right here should be earned, not given away, it should be earned. Somebody should, somebody say amen to that. You know, but it should, this is what God does. He puts you through a school of hard knocks, of showing you your limitations, of helping you to know that where God is, that's, it's all going down. If God's there, it's going down. If God's in it, it's going to be good. If you're doing his will, it's going to be good. If, if you're not doing his will, it may not be so good. And this is what God was doing in my life. And these two people came to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, there was one man back twitching and shaking in the back of the bus. So I go back there. I thought, well, maybe this is my time for healing. I went back, sir, are you okay? And he was like doing this twitching. He said, no, I'm fine. I got the quickening on me. <laughs> Y'all ever know, heard of the quickening? Not everybody's heard of the quickening. It's a word in predominantly in the African-American community when the Holy Spirit does something, you start feeling it. It could be this way. It could be this way. When the Lord comes upon you, next thing you know, I'm called into ministry. I'm reaching out to people. I'm reaching international students. And that became a, a real gift in my life. But let me fast forward. It was uh, nine years ago when I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because we were unfortunately at the memorial service of our son, Jordan Lewis, who was 23 years old, and he had died of a three-year battle with cancer. He was married, had a wife, had a great job. He was a great kid, but he had been to Tanzania two years prior, and God had used him to, for the first time in history, to win people to Christ out of 161,000 people, God used him to reach people. And they started a, a church in the clinic that they had built for pregnant moms. And that went on and that, that started, ended up eventually 40 to 50 churches have been started. We have been helping to fund the translation of the Bible in their heart language in Western Tanzania. And God used that, and that was the beginning. After he died, people said, stop sending flowers, send money to the missions department of Oral Roberts University, the group that he had been with. And people sent it. There's about $8,500 in that. We were all thankful for that. But then six to eight months later, the CFO and the chief legal counsel asked me, would you please take this nonprofit into one of your nonprofits or Roberts University, due to the State Department regulations of a university, cannot touch it. They can't send it to these hard-to-reach nations. So we took that. The first, like right after that, the first Sunday, uh, that we, uh, we came back from that meeting. And there was a man in there from Nepal. And this man was from Nepal. And he was telling me the story of two girls in his, uh, in his ministry had been trying to, um, they actually had been, held captive, and they were being abducted, and they had been victimized by, at the worst way, and they were in the border of going into India when people recognized that they, these, these two girls are probably reaching out for help. 
because they looked strange and, and just scared and all that. They found out they were being trafficked. They put them in a safe house where this man who was in my church on that Sunday, he said, these two girls who were victimized have spent time getting to know Jesus, getting healed, and now they're ready to go back to their village of many thousands of people and be the first to ever preach the gospel back in that village. Her name is Joy T. And she, you can see her, she is now, she, got, she married a pastor. She has eight, um, eight different congregations. Thousands have come to Christ. And wrong one, that's okay, that's, uh, uh, there we go. That's Joy T and her community, and they started, they were the first to start churches, and that whole village, 75% of the village came to Christ. She married a pastor, went to another place, but here's what is most significant, is she started a micro bank where people could, women who, like her, had, had these issues and hardships, and they would give 25 cents a month into their account. And they launched the first ever uh, of hundreds of microbanks throughout Nepal. And 1,100 women are involved in this. And it has now become a bank in Nepal, registered government bank. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are many nudges along the way. So don't think it's just a little thing to give somebody a $5 gift card to Starbucks if you have a message with it. Or you do a little thing where you just take somebody some cupcakes. Or you do a little thing and you go to the, I need to drop in in the hospital. You just do a little thing. I was with a guy last week in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we were working together on a project. And next thing you know, he's like getting touched and I'm blessing him, and I'm helping him. Didn't know that his mother owned a restaurant, and she's bringing in her food to me, and it was the best soul food I've ever had in my life, frankly. It was so good. And next thing you know, we are working together, and he said, I can't deny that God has sent you and several other people right now into my life. Right when I was showing up, somebody, a stranger, gave him $1,000. And this man is just really, truly being set free. And this is what happens. Little nudges go a long, long way. I'm out of time here, so let me just tell you real quickly about a little bit about what's happening in, in Pakistan. And Pastor James is a dear friend to our leader there. We call him Pastor Moses. And Pastor Moses is so special. Uh, one of the most special guys I've ever, ever met. And he is, is dedicated to the gospel in his nation of Pakistan. And I said, what can we do? What can we do? And he said, Pakistan, people are dying because of the lack of water. And I said, well, maybe, and we started talking about it and praying. I said, maybe we give water away regardless of religion, regardless of caste system or regardless of ethnicity, just just give it away. And you know what? That started going really, really well. Matter of fact, today, to date, you can look on this map. Uh, these are some of, the, or some of the children. This is clean water. They've never had clean water. They're, they're drinking out of the channels of water that the animals are living in. That's what they do. And you can see the clean water and you can see the dirty water. And I would be lying if I didn't tell you, I, I would just be wrong if I didn't tell you this. I have thousands of pictures like that right there, thousands that come in. Look at the map right here. 
to date, as of today, this morning, we received another message. Another water pump is in uh, Pakistan to date, 281 mar- uh, water pumps. And in every single one, when we send back the teams, after they get water, we send in teams, they preach the gospel. We are getting, on average, house churches, three to five of these house churches because of the water. The people said, thank you for the water. And they said, oh, we got something much better than this water that will run dry. We have, some, uh, we have something that wells up to eternal life. And that message is working so beautifully in that nation. And now to date, there are more than 6,700 house churches in the last six years. Once the gospel gets going, you can't stop the gospel. Once the water gets flowing, you keep drinking that water and you give it away for what? For free. There is nothing greater. And the people have been funding this over the years. It's been happening. I could see us getting a thousand of these in this nation. I believe that with all my heart. I can see us getting past 10,000 house churches. People say, well, they're just all the poor people. And you know what I say? So what? So are you. You're poor too. You just don't know it. We're all poor. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are, who are just empty in their spirit. Blessed are those who are like that because, man, we need God. And the sign that we're not receiving all that we have is we're only into small little things. Jesus said, you, you, you just take that one talent and take one more. You take those two talents and double that. That's four. You take four talents and, and you can double and triple that. God is in the gift of multiplication because it's in your DNA. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and grow. This is a church that is a no mistake, no business. The foundations have been laid. The water has become a clean water. The land has been blessed. Your pastor in this church has been an absolute seed that is just reaching to the north, the south, the east, and the west. And because of this man and his family, there is much joy in that city. I am thankful for all that God has done and what he's doing. But I want us to pay attention to the little things in life. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Tipping Point many years ago, but the subtitle is, capture, captures the book and what we can listen to right now and how it can change us, how little things can make a big difference. Little things can make a big difference. Don't worry about what you're not. God's not interested in what you're not, but he's all about who you are. He's about everything about you that he put in you and he put the spirit in you to give you the credential of the Holy Spirit who can operate through you with gifts, with fruit, with service, with love. Isn't it true that it takes the Holy Spirit to love people who you really normally never would love? And man, does God bring those people into my life all the time. But you know what always wins and what conquers is the love of God that's in Christ that's now resident in you. Father, have your way. Have your way with this congregation. Lord, I thank you that you're speaking to people about their calling, about their their abilities, about their skills, about their moment in life where they are going to say, hey, Lord, you've been faithful to me. You've been good to me. 
You've been kind to me. And now, Lord, help us to go from being blessed to being a blessing. I pray it, Lord, in my life. I pray it in my family. I pray it for this church, Pastor James and Debbie and Dr. Rice and Jody and others here, this staff, this team. Lord, I thank you. You've raised them up. They've already been crowned with your loving kindness. They've already. And Lord, I sense this morning that they are really, truly just on the on the east side of the Jordan River, getting ready to cross over into the land, into the land of blessing. I believe this anointing is on this house for every person here to go, to grow, to pray, to give, Lord, to overcome. Lord, I thank you that you've given us all that we need through Jesus. Amen. Hey, stay with me for a minute, Pastor Ron. The service is over. I'm getting ready to dismiss you, but I just want to say, Pastor Ron, stay with me for a minute. Uh, uh, you know, I think that um, because of a short 30-minute sermon, sometimes you can't hear the depth of the, the story. This man, I know it's no exaggeration. You don't talk about it, but how many, how many pastors and leaders have we trained in, in China? Just, just, I know you don't want to say it, but... Okay, so just to be clear, it's our team in China have trained 2.2 million Chinese leaders. Okay. So I think, I think sometimes um, we always point the finger at that person is great and they'll do it. But the whole sermon about nudges was God really has used ordinary people who just say yes. And if you knew what the end result of your yes would be, would you say it quicker? I know that you might be belittling who you are on the planet, but Jesus Christ thought you should be on the planet right now. What as wicked as the world is, he thought that you should be on the planet. The nudge might happen for you to just participate in our Wild Jam outreach. The nudge might happen because you're going to be a workplace minister and win people during lunch, lunch hours or a campus minister. You might be nudged to have lunch with an international student or a lot of, lot of the churches that we have planted have come out of being in America and inviting an international person to come and, and to eat with you. You are not in this church to be ordinary. We're believing that when God calls somebody to our church, it's so that they can make an extraordinary impact. Don't spend your time thinking about what other people are going to do. What is God ask, where is God asking you to go? What is God asking you to give? Where is God asking you to pray? And wherever you find yourself, that's your harvest field. Just love your neighbor. Love your neighbor and something dynamic will happen. He was talking about those water pumps, but I'm, I, I spent time with our leader over there in Pakistan, Moses whose life is on the line. I'm not talking about maybe. I'm talking about like they're they searching for you, what hurt you, kill you, or eliminate you, where you have to. No, if I might, uh, this, is why, this is where it gets serious. Um, so I called him yesterday out of the blue, and I said, what's really going on in your life right now? We, t we text or talk every single day, and it's because he needs this level of support. 
you've been a great supporter, for, help for him in many ways. And he said, my wife has had 12 straight nights of dreams that I would be kidnapped. And you can imagine what that would look like when a Christian minister gets kidnapped in a radical nation. And so I'm just simply bringing that up since you mentioned that. Please pray for Pastor Moses. Yes. And around the world, are Christians being persecuted? I know we don't think about it, but tell about some of the persecution. So there's more Christian persecution in the world going on right now than ever before. It is the most ever. And it's a new level of demonic brutality where, um, oh my, I've been watching videos lately, uh, which are being sent to me from the northern part of of India in Manipur, M-A-N-I-P-U-R, India. It's a state in India that is where it's not just tribal, it's the Christians. It's not, they're trying to tell you, all oh, this is just tribal issue. They're slaughtering our brothers and sisters. Murdered, brutally beaten, brutally. It's brutal. It's horrifying what they're doing to the women. It's beginning to touch the world, what's happening. Even Europe, European parliaments are holding briefings and sessions where they explain what's going on. It's terrifying. And, um, you know, if we really don't see ourselves as a brother and sister, that we are family. I know it's hard to look past our natural family when we have needs. But this is beyond comprehension. This is Hitler-esque, if you will. It's that bad. And so I think sometimes when we come and worship in American context, uh, we're just kind of like doing some Christian duty and then we get on with our lives. I want you to know about our church when we say we're reaching the city to touch the world. When you give money and stuff like that, this is the type of things we're doing to reach the world. And I don't think that we tell you the story near often enough, but, you know, a lot of things we're on the cutting edge of. Sometimes it's trafficking issues. Sometimes it's the water wells, but it's always getting the gospel um, to people. And I do want to thank you as a church for doing that. But now you have some context for what your giving does uh, of when we're worship, what we're believing for. When our Chinese leader, which he knows very well, was here last week, Jackie, he kept remarking about the freedom we have to worship. We have friends in India who are being tortured. Um, uh, uh, our Indian apostle, uh, Yazupadam's son, was just brutally, just, just said that's the last one I want to tell. Can you tell that one publicly? Oh, you can't say that. His spiritual son. Right. So his 16-year-old boy who's preaching the gospel, his name is Natish, and um, RonLewisMinistries.org. I tell a story in there. You can see it. But he was 16 years old, and they said, you better stop preaching the gospel. He kept preaching. He said, I will never stop preaching the gospel. So he's selling fruit off a stand with his mother, and, um, and they came, and they poured acid on him. And uh, remarkably, it's only the neck down. But he laid in a hospital for six months until his skin wasn't there enough and he, and he passed away. The beautiful part is that he had a, his face. You could always see his face. They, somehow the acid missed his face. And he had a beautiful face. 16 years old. I don't know why that I have to watch these videos. They asked me, please watch them. And they're terrible. They're horrible. 
And yet, at the same time, through the seed of the martyrs, the church of Jesus Christ is standing and saying, we're not going to stop preaching the gospel. It's, you can stand to your feet, but it's amazing to me that God will refer to the church as like soldiers, soldiers in the army of the Lord. And the soldier is called upon to regularly, voluntarily give their life for the benefit of others. But that's what the gospel message is as well. And I know sometimes the gospel we think about is one to prosper us as individuals and to give us the best life possible. There's coming a day, I'm just letting you know in this world where your faith and the authenticity of it will be tested by a real fire. Practicing partnering with our brothers around the world who are in broken, horrendous things is what we're to do right now. And I'm gonna tell you, we sit with them, we fly, nations we have secret meetings and and we tell them okay we'll get you out they refuse to leave they refuse to take the comforts takes me back to Moses who who would rather suffer with his people being convenient it's something I, I won't speak to you but something is broken in me because sometimes I'm not broken for Christ and the gospel enough I pray that we would be a church that challenges one another to do that work. Lord, I pray today for us. I'm asking for help. Help to see the world like you see it. You came to seek and save the lost and destroy the work of the devil. May I be so overwhelmed with that calling, that mission, that I'm going to get distracted by my blessings. May I not be so worried about what's going on in the world as well that I don't see my neighbor right around me who needs that gospel. God, may this be a year. Can you mark this day where the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes a priority in our personal lives that we extend beyond. So we thank you for our blessings. But we want to become distribution centers of those blessings. We want you to trust us with more resource because we're volunteering for more sacrifice make us like you make us think like you act like you talk like you walk like you as we leave this place we pray you would go with us keep us all in the center of your will and as the apple of your eye we'll give you praise for all things in jesus name amen